Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la you found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked a young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Marinero, it is the sick podcast brought to you in part by 8.6 beer, intense by nature, the beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark as well. Brought to you in part by Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you go back to Lacage. The menu will surprise you. And brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, a leading service, uh, pardon me, a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Mike Chiquino and Sean Gerard. We're going to be with you for about an hour right here on the sick podcast we were we are live on youtube live on facebook and live on twitter as we speak and we're going to be talking montreal canadians hockey and maybe maybe just maybe we'll get to something else which has been the uh, topic of the day in uh, the city of montreal and in the province of quebec which is uh well maybe we'll just tackle it and uh we're going to tackle it at least a little bit. I mean, I, I think we have to. We're not going to uh, avoid it. And uh, anyway, the Montreal Canadiens yesterday lost what was their, what is it, their eighth game in their last nine. And uh, Marty St. Louis uh, last night at the end of the game talked about uh, too many passengers. All right. Too many passengers. And uh, it seems like Marty St. Louis seems kind of like betrayed. Uh, from the lack of heart or the lack of competitiveness from some players or the fact that there is passengers. He talked about it notably in period number one. So we're going to get to that and much more as the Montreal Canadiens prepare to host P.K. Subban's former team, the Nashville Predators, with P.K. Subban in attendance because it's a night that the Montreal Canadiens are going to honor P.K. Subban. So you would think that there's going to be a certain buzz at the Bell Centre that there hasn't been in uh, a little while. All right. Okay. Um, I want to say hi to Wendy and I want to say hi to Stefan. Uh, Stefan has been listening to me on the radio for many, many years. And then when I left English radio, he followed over to right here on the sick podcast and he got Wendy listening as well. Stefan's a former Montrealer who moved to Ontario and, uh, he and Wendy live about an hour 20 from Montreal and they reached out to me via, Wendy reached out to me via Instagram Messenger, direct message. And she said, you know, we're big fans of the show. And is there any way that we can meet you? And I said, yeah, well, 
you know what? They went to the game last night versus the Seattle Kraken, and they said, can we meet you on Tuesday? And I said, yeah, you know what? I can meet for lunch uh, on Tuesday at around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, they were gracious enough to actually come to me, to Villa Sal. And so we met in Villa Sal, and we had a bite to eat, and uh, we spent, uh, I would say, uh, a good two hours together. And uh, and we had a great talk and we had a great lunch. And um, and then when all was said and done, I drove them back to their hotel in downtown Montreal. And they're probably watching right now. And so it was a pleasure meeting you, Wendy. And it was a pleasure meeting you, Stefan. And uh, I wish that we can have some kind of event one day or some kind of gathering where I can meet all of you. Right. You're about 238 watching right now on YouTube and between Twitter and Facebook. You're probably about 500. I'd love to meet all of you, and uh, I think it's uh, it's an honor when people reach out and say, hey, you know what, I've been listening to you for a while, or I've been watching, and I'd like to meet you, and uh, you know what, um, you know, if there's some free time in my schedule, and today there was, uh, I'll always make time for a coffee, so uh, great meeting uh, Wendy and Stefan, pretty cool, pretty cool indeed. Uh, Eric Engels usually joins him. Um, Eric Engels usually joins me on Monday nights, but because, of course, the Canadians were playing last night and Eric had to work for Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, he could not join me last night, but the good news is that he can join me tonight. So without further ado, let's bring him in. There he is. How you doing, bud? I can't hear you. Can you hear me? What a start to the program that is. Isn't that lovely, eh? Can you hear me now? I can. I said, what are the chances you're wearing pants under that desk? Uh, what would you say? Like zero. You don't think I'm wearing pants? I don't think you're wearing pants. You might be right. <laughs> but tonight you're wrong. Oh! Yeah. Beauty track pants? Yeah. There are those Deodoras or uh, no. Nikes? Okay, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. Good old uh, Nike jogging pants. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to say this. I've done, I've never done a show where I wasn't wearing pants under the desk. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be standing up. Never. Now, I did a show where I believe I was wearing PJs, like the old Pierre Cardin's, like the style of like 30 years ago. I think that I may have done, I may have, I may have done one where I was wearing PJs. But for the most part, if it's not the Nike track pants, it's the Adidas track pants, but I'm usually wearing track pants. The second, uh, you know, I, I'll i dress up when I have to work television, of course, Monday to Thursday night. But, you know, when I wake up in the morning up until when I leave, I'm wearing track pants. The second yeah. I got to leave for work, at that point, I change the track pants and I'll put on a pair of jeans or a pair of dressier Seriously, pants. Seriously, though, go through the Zoom era. Like, what percentage of people do you think are actually wearing pants on their Zoom meetings in the mornings? I would say it's 50-50, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I don't even want to think about it, to tell you the truth. Uh, Chris says only George does the show naked. Do you? By the way, are you aware of that one? Do you know that one? No. So George Larac's a contributor on Thursday nights for the most part, all right? Yeah. He was off on vacation during the holidays, but I've since uh, contacted him, and he's going to be a reg. He'll, he'll join us uh, on Thursday night, okay, following okay. Uh, the Canadians and the Nashville Predators. I did a show with him. I don't remember which city he was in, whether it was Edmonton or whether it was Halifax or Toronto. Like, it was one of the three. I don't remember where, but he was actually – so he wasn't wearing a top. He was in a hotel room 
he was lying down on top of the pillow and um you didn't see anything like you weren't able to see um from the waist down but when i asked him if he was wearing anything he actually said he wasn't and uh, so needless to say <laughs> i was very very surprised that night i was actually i was quite shocked to tell you the truth i was quite shocked and at Everyone one point their own style, you know at one point i don't know if he was just moving around he was getting uncomfortable but it looked like he was going up and down on that pillow and i was like i was just i was a I was speechless, and me being speechless doesn't happen very often. George is an entertainer. Uh, George is definitely an entertainer, yes. Um, one of the best, I would say, one of the best entertainers on sports radio in Canada right now. I do believe Canada lost their best one. Okay, but anyway, that's another story for another day. And the truth shall set you free. Hey, Marty St. Louis, all kidding aside. Mind you, I wasn't kidding. Marty St. Louis talked about passengers last night at the end of the game, and he thought that there were too many, especially in period number one. So I'm going to put you on the spot right away to start the podcast tonight. Who do you think he was talking about? I'd have an easier time telling you who he wasn't talking about. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, so <laughs> let, let, hold on a second. Let me start it. He was not talking about Jake Evans. Correct. Now you give me a name. Uri Slavkovsky. Uh, yeah, that's the next best name I was thinking of. Um, I'll give you the Suzuki, rest. Suzuki, Suzuki and Caulfield were not passengers yesterday, despite the fact that they obviously did not yeah, they were. produce in the first in the first period. They absolutely were. And yeah, yeah, he talked absolutely. about the, he talked about the first the, period. The problem right, was yeah. the first period, and yeah. and Marty had every right to be pissed out of his mind last night honestly mm -hmm. like that first period was you know what we're talking about the first period we're talking about the reaction in the crowd last night at the game the way it was the atmosphere go back not that far like mm -hmm. go back not that far into the season i was thinking about this as you were doing your little intro and i was waiting to come on i i was talking to the players about how they were being cheered while down two three goals in games this year about how the crowd was right behind them excited mm -hmm. the crowd in montreal you can say whatever you want about them, but they know what effort looks like and they know when it's what it should be and what it shouldn't be. And when it's what it shouldn't be, you're going to hear it from them. And when it's what it should be, even if you're losing, you're going to hear it from them. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the beauty of the Bell Center. It's what makes the Bell Center a very unique place to play. And these players are very, they say all the time how lucky they are to play there. And sometimes I'm sure that they do take it for granted and they need a reminder of how lucky they they should it may they may not feel lucky on a night like last night where martin st louis said they should feel embarrassed with the way they played in the first period and were booed off the ice after 20 minutes of the game mm -hmm. um they deserve that like they deserve that last night there's people that are paying a lot of money to come to the game and the only thing that they really ask for on a team where they've almost fully bought into the fact that they're not going to win more often than they lose is effort and the effort was way substandard from the top guys down mm -hmm. to the bottom guys, with the exception of, like you said, Jake Evans, Uri Slapkowski. I would say Josh Anderson was in the trying group. I would say David mm -hmm. Savard is always in that group. Joel Edmondson, always in that group. Uh, Christian Dvorak, I would give him credit. Everybody else was asleep. I thought Edmondson, by the way, I thought Edmondson and Savard looked very confused in period number one. I know you said they were in the Maybe. trying group. 
I think they played hard. I just it, don't think they played smart. Yeah, listen, it, it's it's not easy to play. Defense is the hardest position in the NHL, and it is 10 times harder when none of your forwards are doing anything or engaged in any type of way. That's a problem. Like, And yes, David Savard made a bad play following up his man all the way up the boards, and Jonathan Drouin didn't pick up his man going to the net, and everything fell apart from there, you know, that first goal. But that was bad. Like, that was really bad, and the players should have been embarrassed about it, especially it's – and it's not just – any game it's the context that should make them embarrassed it's the context of you lost seven games in a row you lost 10 of 11 you played a good game against the rangers and lost you were not booed you lost 4-1 by three goals nobody booed you Mm -hmm. you played a very good game against the st louis blues and finally had something to build on you had a rare sunday practice to reinforce the good habits that had been established in that game and go look at like the images from the optional morning skate on Monday with the guys coming out in the track suits and everybody's all smiles and having a mm-hmm. good time. And then to show up and start the game in that way is one thing that, you know, Martin St. Louis has mentioned before. He's got certain non-negotiables. That's one of them. It's effort. And the Canadians just didn't have it. And um, I wrote about this. I don't know if you read what I wrote last night, Tony. I know you're a busy mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. But what I wrote about last night was that I should explain how this works. I know we're going off on a bit of a tangent, but I want to explain. No, no, go, works. go, go. Hey, by all means, Look, we got time, by the way. There are either the Canadians PR staff will ask us who we want to speak to after the game or mm-hmm. certain people will suggest. And I'm often one of the people who does suggest because I want to make sure that we have the right people in the room. But I said to myself before that whole process went down midway through the third period as it usually does. I'm not going to request anybody. I want to see who's in the room. Mm-hmm. And good you know, call. Got, one guy requested Jake Evans. One guy requested Josh Anderson, totally legitimate people to be requesting, not because you want them to be accountable for the loss, but because a, you know, you're going to hear the truth from them and B they yeah. were two of the guys who really, Gave an effort and showed their frustration of the way. And if I and if I can, Eric, for those who are watching right now on YouTube Live and Facebook Live and Twitter Live, you have to write a story. And one of the things, you know, yesterday the Canadians were blown out of the building; they were nowhere to be found. And by not asking for anybody, you wanted to see who was going to show up and answer the questions and who was going to want no part of it, right? Just to give you a kind of idea of maybe where you were going and. Yeah, and and listen. Also, over the last few weeks, mm-hmm. and this is nothing. This is not the PR staff fault at all. They do they make the effort to get the players into the room. But when you go through a seven game losing streak and you're on the road, it's not a pleasant thing. It's not a pleasant thing talking to the media. It's not a pleasant thing, even if you can put it in your mind that speaking to the media, the media is just a conduit to the fans. They're the direct line between you and the fans. And that is the purpose of our job and why we're in there asking the questions we ask and writing the stories we write. Um, And it takes time to build this type of culture of accountability. And I have no doubt those guys, you know, the way they'll view it is they they're accountable to each other and nobody else. And that's totally understandable. But at the end of the Uh day, when you have a game like you had against St. Louis and you come out with something that Martin St. Louis said, in that first period, they should have been embarrassed about, and he was 100% right. They should have been embarrassed about it. You'd like to see 
somebody in the room or everybody in the room say, we're all wearing this tonight. We win as a team, we lose as a team, and we're all going to wear this. And when that door opens and those guys come in with their questions, no matter how nauseating they are, we're all answering them. That is like a solidarity, accountable kind of, and I'm not saying that I expect that, but it's something if I was a fan of the Canadians, I would want to see it. And when the doors opened and Uri Slavkovsky was there, and Arbor Jackai was there, and Sam Montombo was there because those were three guys that you wouldn't really pin the loss on. And, of course, Nick Suzuki was there. And Nick Suzuki fell on his sword immediately. We had a uh, an unacceptable first period, he said. It started with my line. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay? And it's not an easy thing. He's 23 years old. He's a first-year captain. He's going through... The hardest losing streak the team has been through this season with him as captain. Having lost eight of their last nine, and and, 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 and he's, he's got a goal patch. in his last 16. Yeah, and he's, he's in his roughest patch of the season, right? Mm-hmm. So good for Nick. What I'd like to see is the rest of the Montreal Canadiens say, Nick, we got your back. Like, we're, we're, we're standing there with you. And, and I've seen it in the past. Like, this is mm-hmm. my 15th year covering the team. And, like, there was times where the GM would walk into the room and say, you guys are all wearing this loss and you're all going to be in here when those doors open for the media. I I definitely remember a couple of occasions like that. Mm -hmm. When a team really hits a maturation point and becomes next level and grows as a team, and this is part of the learning process and the maturation process of this team, if they're going to get further along in their process than anybody feels they'll be now, like if they want to get further along quicker, these are the types of things where if that initiative can come from within the room, it will speak a lot to who these guys can become because winners stand up and are accountable when something like that, same way when you win a big game and you, you want to share the spotlight with everybody Mm -hmm. else own the loss. You, you win as a team, you lose as a team, you, you, you live as a team, you die as a team like that. This is the type of stuff that, and I don't know, I don't know if that's reinforced as much in this modern mm-hmm. day where, you know, there's a excessive media demands on yeah. the team and on the players on a daily basis. But it's something that I don't think it's the PR staff's responsibility at all. They do as much as they can to try and help us. At the end of the day, they can't force anybody to do anything. Yeah. You'd like to see it come from within the room. And Martin St. Louis, yeah. like any coach, always says, uh, Marty says nonstop, I'm not in the room. Yesterday, he was asked about the players and how they were reacting, and he said, I'm not a fly on the wall listening to everything everybody says, so I can't tell you. I like that because what Marty St. Louis wants more than anything is for the room to take care of itself and for the room to emerge and to the point where he doesn't have to say what what would have to be say after a first mm-hmm. period like that. He mm-hmm. would expect that everybody would get up in the room and say that was unacceptable. And so, So, Eric, you're obviously very very close to the team when they travel on the road you travel on the road when they play at home you're at the games at home uh after practice you're in the locker room after the games you're in the locker room when the games are going on or after the game i'm i'm here hosting the podcast okay i'll tell you and so obviously you got a great feel for the room i'll tell you what it looks like from for those who are detached and, and from the outside, it looks like it's a team that at the midway point of the season knows that they're not good enough, knows that they're not deep enough, 
knows they're in a rebuild, knows they're not going to make the playoffs. So they're going to go through the motions between now and the second half of the season. Now, that might not be the, the feel in the room, and that might not be the message, but that's what it looks like from the outside. It also looks like there's some players who don't have the best work ethic in the world to begin with, and there's two or three of them. There's one or two who are not the most consistent performers ever either. And it looks like there's some veterans and some players on the last year of their contract that are waiting to be moved and won out. So when you add that all together, whether it's true or not, you're going to have a lot of passengers. See, I think the most important thing you just said is whether it's true or not, because it doesn't really matter if it's true. Perception is reality. If that is perception, it doesn't matter if it's necessarily true. But that perception is not one that a hockey team should want to be out there. They shouldn't want their fans feeling as though that's how they feel about it. I, I would say this. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys on this team that were here last year, they don't want to relive what they went through last year. They're in a funk and they've gone through a really rough stretch here. Is it exactly like last year? No. There's a lot of differences. Um, You look at it from a macro level. So do I. It's my job. On a micro level, I think you have to kind of pin it down to each individual case because there are some guys sitting here wondering, where am I going to be in a month? Um, There are some other players feeling like, when is my opportunity going to come in the place of one of these guys who doesn't know where he's going to be in a month? There are some players who are wondering, when might the axe fall on me and 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 my opportunity might be done here and, and I'll have squandered something. And it's hard not to be distracted at this time of year. I think the Canadians will find a way back to a win-one, lose-one rhythm through here to the end of the season. I do think what was established in that game in St. Louis is not just suddenly going to disappear, even if it looked like it against Seattle last night. Um. But it's something that if it wasn't reinforced in the loss to Seattle, it will be for every loss that follows, is that you cannot take for granted how hard you have to fight and how hard you have to work to generate a win at this time of year and against Mm -hmm. the quality of opposition that the Canadians are facing from here to the end of the schedule. And I don't think they want to lose game after game, no matter what their fans want from them. So it's really more on a micro level, Mm -hmm. right? Like what each individual player is going through how they feel on a given day and what the distractions are that come with it. Because let's not be under any illusions. There are distractions. They're paid a lot of money to focus on one specific task. There's a lot of things that come into their minds when they're in on a team in this type of situation where there are guys that are going to be moved out between now and the deadline. There are guys who are going to yep. be papered down to Laval. There are guys who are going to get a promotion up the lineup and are waiting for that opportunity. There are um, guys like Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield who have hit a bit of a lull and have to pick their game up and carry the team on a nightly basis without much support behind them. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of different individual situations that leads up to that macro perspective that you have. But I hope some of the Canadians are hearing people like you and somebody else say those types of things because it's not the perception that they would like to be pervasive in the marketplace. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. So like, so talk to me about Uri Slavkowski now, who by all accounts, even though obviously the Canadians didn't score last night, had one of his better games in a while. 
Does that change what's next for Slavkowski or was Slavkowski always going to stay here? Was he going to go down? If he was going to go down, does that one game maybe change someone's mind? Yes or no, your thoughts on what on, on all that? Um, I think it is day by day with Slavkovsky. And uh, is there a big plan, big picture plan that's been put in place for him? Potentially, probably. Otherwise, he might have been sent to Laval by now. Um, I could give you 100 good reasons to keep him with the Canadians and 100 good reasons to send him now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it really doesn't matter what I feel about it or your feel about it or what everybody in the marketplace is talking about and how they feel. Mm-hmm. What matters is. There's two things that people should keep in mind, no matter how they feel about the situation. Yeah. One is the Canadians took, they went on a limb and chose this player. They went on a limb and chose this player. Mm -hmm. They knew this was the most important decision that they were making. They involved every single one of their scouts, anybody with an opinion in it, and allowed their top guys who run the draft and had the most viewings make that decision with the sign-off of the GM and the VP of Hockey Ops. They believe in this player. There's there's no question about that. And I can promise you that for as much as Tony Marinaro wants to see him succeed, whether it's in the AHL or the NHL, mm-hmm. so as long mm-hmm. as he becomes the best player possible, no matter how much uh, the average fan wants to see him blow up the league when the mm-hmm. time comes three to four years down the line, he's matured into the type of player we all think he can be with the talent he exhibits. The Canadians want that more. The Canadians want it more than anybody. So... I think given their track record and the way they've made their decisions, which I think we'd all agree have been uh-huh. has been really strong so far, I don't have much reason to, to, to doubt their intentions. I don't think this has anything to do with optics. I don't think this is if we send them down, you know, we're going to look bad. I have I don't think that has any it's any factor in the decision. I don't think these guys are afraid of that at all. Uh-huh. Um. They have to decide what they think will be. I, I think I think they've made a mistake by keeping him here, and I think they made a mistake by not sending him to the World Juniors. I don't think this management team has made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and and I'm I'm up for discussion. I mean, it like we're gonna find out. I, when are we gonna find out? We're gonna find I, out I, in know, three years from now or four years I, from now. I mean, if you're right, I I have a couple of opinions whether I'm right or I'm wrong. I mean, one thing that I probably wouldn't. No, but have, when I will probably, we? When will we find out, Tony? Uh, we're only going to find out probably five years down the line whether okay. or not it would have been a good move to actually send them down or keep them here. I just I don't think it's I'll, too I'll, late. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'll Is say it too this. late to do it? Let no, me ask you that. No, it's not too late. So then I'll, I'll say this, okay? Um, I don't remember the last. And he's already produced more than many others did as an 18-year-old in the National Hockey League. So that's not a huge issue either, okay? It's the best league in the world, picking up points as an 18-year-old rookie. It's not that easy, and the guys who do it usually are really, really special, okay? Having said that, I don't remember when was the last time he scored. I don't remember when was the last time he picked up a point. I don't remember when was the last time he was like a big-time plus player. I don't remember, and I think he's got like, I don't know, five shots in his last 11 games or whatever it is. I I don't even remember. So even though it's not the end of the world, I would imagine that if he's playing in Laval, his 13 minutes become 17 and a half minutes. I would imagine he's not going as long without scoring a goal. I would imagine he's not going as long without picking up a point. And I would imagine 
Consequently, his confidence level will go up because he'll be demanding the puck more. He'll be getting the puck more. He'll have more time and space to do things. And he will be picking up more points. Picking up points makes you feel good about yourself. So like you could, you could. That's play my devil. only reasoning. No, I don't no, even I, know I, if I'm right. You know, I'm on the same page, but at the same time, you could play devil's advocate with every single one of those arguments. You could also say that everyone said the same thing about Jack Hughes, his first year in the NHL, another first overall pick, and that this would damage him the way it's going, and that it's not working. Uh, everyone is saying the same thing about Lafreniere two years later. Um, you know, when it looked like Lafreniere was going to bust out the way he played in the playoffs was fantastic. You know, I, I don't know. I, I know one thing for as much as I'm around the team and as much as I've been exposed to Slavkovsky, who at no point has come across to me as a shaken man. Like, mm-hmm. I I have to defer to a degree. It doesn't mean that I don't think – I do believe that it would really benefit him to go play mm-hmm. 15 games in the AHL with no, you could even tell them we're, we're bringing you back up after this hard number of games. Correct. Yeah. I, I I'm happy you brought up Jack Hughes, by I the think, way, because I don't think had, it would hurt him. Let's put yeah. it that way. I, there, yeah. there is an argument to be made that it would before you get to Jack Hughes. There, 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 the argument would be that if he goes down and doesn't, doesn't produce, and then all of a sudden it becomes a fiasco and that really you. does damage his confidence. I hear you. I there hear is you. a risk in that. It's, well, it's you, possible. Yes, you also have to have confidence that if you send them down, that he's going to turn it around too. I mean, he's. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Jack Hughes, though, because Jack Hughes in his rookie season, and this should be noted because not a lot of people know this or remember this. He had 21 points in 61 games. He had 21 points in 61 games. F- three years after that, he's at the midway point of his season. He's got 49 points in 41 games. This guy's on the verge. This guy's on pace to hit 98 points. And he was a point-per-game player last year, too. Uh, More than that. He picked up 56 points in 49 games. But, yeah, yeah, so, you know, you did good to bring that up. There's a a tweet that are are, are, uh, on our chat, on our um, YouTube live. Before you read it to me, I have another one to bring up to you. Sure. There was a kid in Montreal. He was the youngest player in the league. He scored 11 goals and 34 points. And that was pretty good production as an 18-year-old in the NHL. Alex Galchenyuk. Yasperi Kakanyemi. Uh, Kakanyemi, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying, you yeah. just brought up Jack Hughes' numbers, which were markedly worse yeah. than Kakanyemi's were. Yeah. For Aaron. Kakanyemi was the youngest player in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, go on. On YouTube Live, Meme Dream Team, I think, is having fun playing with everyone on the chat and playing with their emotions. Because he basically said that the Canadians picked up a bust in Yuri Slavkowski and then said we could have picked Cooley, Wright, Yurichek, or Nemich. Instead, we got zero points in 13 games. Slavkowski is a bust. Now, to mean dream team, A, you could be right. B, I'm not willing to call an 18-year-old a bust. You know, I'll draw my own conclusions in about five years from now at the very least. But I'll say this. I think your 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 message on the chat, I don't think it's overly smart. Like you're talking about a player that has zero points in 13 games, but you're talking about rather having Cooley, who plays at the University of Minnesota, Yurichek, who plays in the AHL for the Cleveland Monsters, Simon Nemec, who plays in the AHL for the Utica Comets, 
or Shane Wright, who plays in the OHL and is, you know, on his verge to joining the Windsor Spitfires. I mean, let's stop talking stupid, please, for a second here. Like, you might be right. He might end up being a bust. You might be right. He might not be end up being the best player in that draft year. But, you know, please don't bring up his points and then mention that you should have Cooley, Wright, Nerechek, or Nemich when, you know, one of them's at the University of Minnesota, one's in the OHL, and two in the American Hockey League. I mean, it's a stupid example, is it not? I don't care where this kid ends up, whether it's in the AHL or the NHL from here to the end of the season. I'm willing to put my my reputation and neck on the line and say he will not be a bust. Um, you know, there's not a scout that I speak. I speak to a lot of scouts, a lot of executives in the NHL. Uh, every single one of them unanimously still believes that he's going to be a top six forward. And a lot of them say top line forward. Um, you can see the skill, the size, the speed, all the attributes. Um, I could see the character, you know, like that, that is the one thing that has me hesitating on my opinion that, you know, the AHL is the best place for him right now is he's been unbristled by this whole thing Has his confidence sunken a bit for sure. Unquestionably. Is he having a crisis of conscience over his play? No. You know, he has the right approach every day saying, tomorrow's a new day. To, the, the next game is coming in two days. I don't have to think about the past. I'm going to go out and try and play my best the next game. The Canadians are doing a fantastic job communicating with him. He's in, it's one, it's pretty easy to trust the hands he's in when you know he's with Adam Nicholas every day and Martin St. Louis. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get, much better than that from a development standpoint. The main argument that you make that I'll make as well is I don't think the AHL will hurt him. I, th I think that to have that opportunity to go touch the puck a lot more, to build up the confidence, see the puck hit the back of the net, it could supersede the risk in sending him down there that A, he doesn't produce, and B, mm -hmm that he continues to develop habits that have enabled him to succeed in Europe and with Team Slovakia versus the yeah. ones that he'll need to succeed in the NHL. I mentioned this yesterday. Three players from that draft year have played games in the National Hockey League. Slavkovsky's played 36. Shane Wright has played eight. And David Juracek has played two. We knew that there was going to be no generational player in that draft. There may or may not end up being a franchise player in that draft. We knew that it was not the greatest draft, not the worst either. And uh, you know what? Maybe he shouldn't have played 36 games up until now. Or maybe by playing them, you know what? He'll be able to produce a la Jack Hughes in three or four years from now. I think everyone would take that and everyone would be happy with that. All right. Okay. I think uh, that's the way they see it too. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, he'd be down there by now. Otherwise, that, he'd have gone to the World Juniors. I don't think it had anything to do with the injuries on the Canadiens roster yeah. that he stayed in Montreal. Um, they are trying to get this player to establish NHL habits. That's really what it comes down to. They're not worried about his production. They're not worried about him scoring. They're not worried about the fact uh, unless they're checking in with him and they and he, he feels damaged by the whole situation. Um, that he hasn't scored in a while, and any offensive player will yeah. feel a little bit damaged by it. You know, it's it takes time to build up that thick skin. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the main reasons they drafted this kid is because he already has it. Like, we'll see. I I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because I don't think they've made any decisions that I would be hypercritical about. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of, I kind of get where they're coming from, too, and I don't know this for a fact, but 
I'd be willing to bet that one of the reasons they don't want to send Slavkowski to Laval is because he will actually have more time and space, and they want him to get used to a league where he's got little no, time and space. Not one so of. Prob- that's exact. Prob- no, not one of. That is the exact reason. That yeah. is the exact reason. It is the main reason. Otherwise, he'd be there by now. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, if you're really thinking about what is going to make this player better, um, that's the way they see it, is that when he was in Europe, he was told, go ahead, cut the middle, use your skills, dangle a guy, skate past a guy. Nobody's going to be able to touch you, this and that. When he was with Team Slovakia, at, even at the Olympics, playing against men and, mm-hmm. and professionals and really good players, but not the best in the world, he was still able to get away with it and do it and score his goals. Can't do it in the NHL. I had a talk with him uh, back in Denver after his game in Arizona, where that was the one game where I looked at him and said, okay, now it's time to send him down because he was shaking his head after every mm-hmm. shift. He was mad at himself. And uh, I said, you know, one of your best habits is that you're always looking for the middle of the ice. But I think you're realizing that you can't always do it in this league where there's you know you got defensemen being paid four or five million bucks purely as defensive defensemen that is there you haven't faced that before and like they're they're paid to shut that down you got to be able to read those situations and he said yes it's exactly what i'm working on so that's why he's not down in the american hockey league right now because they want him yeah in a league where he can't i like i I remember speaking to ken hughes very early in the season Mm -hmm. and him saying if we send him down to the AHL and he goes and dangles guys, is he really learning how to become a better NHL player? So I think that is part of the blueprint, but they do have to evaluate it on a daily basis. Anyways, I'm sure you you're probably after days and weeks and I'm feeling the same way where we've spent too much time. uh, Anyways, talking about this whole situation. Yes, we have. Yeah. A shout out to playground. They have over 600 machines, poker tournaments and playground casino games, daily promotions and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else located just over the Mercier bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. And I'm also going to talk to you about sportbuffshop.com. Use code sick 10 for 10% off on all of their items, including sick apparel. This one here says marination and you can shop for all your sports licensed lifestyle apparel, including hoodies, caps, and T-shirts of your favorite teams from all major leagues. All right, okay. Um, The veteran players that were likely to be traded come trade deadline. Will they end up being traded? Most of them. You know who I'm talking about. Or will they finish off the season with the Montreal Canadiens and then... You you want to go one by one? Just be off. Yes, Evgeny Dadonov. If you it were if look, he keeps I, if he keep it, it, honestly if he keeps playing the way he played two of the last three games there's a chance there's a chance that he'll be picked up there's okay. a chance take John, half his salary and yeah there's Jonathan Drouin take half his salary and there's a chance I think it's probably the the very minute chance yeah. When you say half his salary because of cap implications, because obviously because of salary implications, yeah. if he's trading, no, you can retain line, like they're, they're expiring. The for, yeah, they're expiring contracts. Most of them will be paid by the time the deadline comes around. Teams that will even think about acquiring players like that just for depth purposes um, would need Montreal to hang on to fifty percent of the salary to do it. 
would they be willing to do it if all they're getting for the player is a fifth or sixth round draft pick? I'm not sure. You'd like to see them be able to boost their value to the point where it becomes a fourth round pick or something mm-hmm. like that or a yeah. middling prospect, whatever it is. Um, and if they're able to do that, the chances increase. Right now, it's a 50-50 proposition at best for both players that we just mentioned because, man, look at the look at the situation in the NHL right now. I would have mm-hmm. been 19 teams up against the cap. There's 15 yeah. in long-term IR. Like, you know, you got you to gotta start playing well. And, and I think Dadnov certainly has started to play a bit better. Drouet has been playing pretty well for the last little while, but at 5.5 million bucks and what he actually brings, if you're able to sell his playoff pedigree, because he has been a good player in the playoffs anytime he's been there. So I'll say that about him. And I really, I want to say this because it's, it's been on my mind and it's been bugging me quite a bit. The fan base is so tired of Jonathan Drouet that if you ever like mention him in any kind of good way, they'll hammer you. They'll hammer you. And, And it's not right because I'm telling you, He's been playing. He did not play well last night. Yeah, that was one of the last like fifteen games that he actually didn't play well. He's been playing well. He's been generating chances, making things happen. Uh, he was a big part of the reason the power play came alive against St. It, Louis. It, it's like, it's not an excuse, but you know yeah. why that is, he right? He's a, he's in year he six of a six year deal. I get it. At thirty three million dollars a year, five point five a year. Those six years, those six years passed very, very fast, and those yeah. fans were waiting for Jonathan Drouin to play like Jonathan Drouin, yeah. and unfortunately, it didn't happen with a lot of regularity. And yeah, and we're not going to. When it did happen, he got hurt, and he just was never able to yeah. get back on track. Right? And we're not going to sit here and say that his value is good enough that it's a guarantee he gets moved between now and the deadline. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. It's um. It's a shame. It's a shame that things didn't work out because at the time the Canadians were really looking for a star and, you know, it never hurts when it's a Francophone star. And, and of course they love those. And uh, it, it just, it didn't work out and it's, it's, it's too bad. I, I think it's safe to say though, Eric, that it kind of doesn't matter what he'll do between now and the deadline. He will not be a Montreal Canadian next season. Like, are you prepared to say that? I think it's, I think, the answer is fairly obvious, but I'd be I'd be really surprised if he was, but I'd never say never. Yeah, okay, that's good enough for me. Um, Who's next on the list, what's uh, so Sean Monahan? I mean, he's he's out with an injury, but you would think that when he comes back, I mean, he's the kind of player that you. There's a lot of teams I think would he's, say would say you know what this guy can help us in the playoffs. He's uh, out of the walking boot. He's skating every day. Yeah, And I don't think it's going to be long before you see him. They said, uh, you know, up to two weeks. And I think that's because they're taking their time to make sure that when he does come back, he's healthy because he's getting traded. And if you didn't recognize the value that he has at 17 points in 25 games, boy, did you ever notice when he was He's such a good player. Like, Like, I think he does everything good, Eric. Yeah. Well, they have missed him. They have missed him. So much because with yeah. respect to Christian Dvorak, he hasn't been able to fill the void. Jake Evans has stepped up his game. Like there is no Jake Evans is beyond reproach right now. The way he's played, I don't care if the offensive production isn't what it was a year ago. It, it this kid has really matured into a veteran player on this team. He's a leader, uh, and and what you saw from him last night in that game was a really good example of how much of a leader he actually is. He does the little things. He takes care of the details. He does his job with pride. Um, and he's been asked to do a hard job, a defensive job, and he does it with pride. But man, you know, just coming back to the point, 
holy crap, like with with Sean Monaghan, the value is really clear in the player. Yeah. Without him, it's become even clearer. So you hope he comes back fully healthy because he's going to net a good return in a trade. I don't know if yeah. it'll be a 2023 draft pick, uh, first round pick, because those are going to be a real premium and they're going to be hard to get for rental players. Um, but I wouldn't strike it as a possibility. And I think getting a 2024 first rounder is very possible uh, or getting a really good prospect for that player is possible. And as much as the Canadians like his value to their team and, and love him, and if, if for whatever reason, if he gets hurt again and the opportunity passes to trade him, the Canadians will resign him. Like they'll, they'll bring yeah. him back, but they're going to capitalize on his trade value because of where they are as a team. And because they like, that's what you have to do. If you don't do it, you're selling yourself short. And I, I think there will be teams. I, the only way you wouldn't do it is if the value wasn't there on the trade market. And I have a hard time believing that it won't be considering not only what he looked like with the Canadians, but what scouts have seen from the Canadians without him. Matrix is real. Tony, have you heard the news with CF Montreal with, uh, in regards to Sandro Grande? No matrix. Uh, I've been on planet Mars for the last 48 hours, so I didn't hear. Uh, yes. Even I heard it. Yes, matrix. I heard. And uh, look, when it comes to soccer in this city, in this province, uh, I know the news before it actually becomes news. So don't worry about it. I'm on top of it and I will tackle it in the next uh, five minutes or so. All right. I'm going to give you my opinion on what went down. So I'll, I'll tackle it. But yes, I, I, I definitely know the news. All right. Um, Sandro Grande was my son's technical director for five of the last six years. All right. So, um, you know, I, I was the one that actually mentioned yesterday, uh, on GAC at TVS sports that Sandro Grande was on the field at Marie Victorin training the CF Montreal reserves, um, so giving him a heads up that Sandro Grande was indeed going to be named the head coach, which they ended up making official at around 6.30 p.m. last night via press release. And um, anyway, uh, earlier this morning at around 9 a.m. this morning, uh, the team made it official that he was, uh, they, they went back on their decision and he was actually relieved of his duties. So he didn't even last, uh, you know, uh, he didn't even last 24 hours at the helm. We'll we'll get to that. Um, all right, okay. Uh, are those the players that we went through? Dadanoff, Drouin, uh, Monahan. Um, are those the players who I believe at the forward position are in the final year of their contract? Yes, all three of them are in the final yeah. year of their contract. Okay. So um, you want to get to the ones that aren't? <laughs> well, you know, those are less likely to be traded, right? And we're talking about Armia, we're talking about Gallagher, we're talking about, uh, you know, we can name so many names. We're talking about Mike Hoffman. We can talk about Joel Edmondson on defense. I mean, Josh Anderson. Yeah, those are, uh, Josh Anderson obviously has several okay. years left. I'm not, like, I'm, not, like I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not putting my money on it, but nothing would surprise me. Let's put it that way. So if I say right now, um, one player will be traded for sure come trade deadline whose name is not Sean Monahan. You would say who is it? I can't say anybody with 100% certainty, but I do believe that Sean Monahan will not be the only player moved out from Montreal. There could be an, a number of different players and players that we're not even thinking about, but 
you know, if you want to look in descending order of probability, yeah, um, Joel Edmondson would be next on the list for me in terms of most likely to move. Yeah, um, and then from there it really becomes. Uh, let's see how creative Kent Hughes can get. I also think you know as we get closer to that, mm-hmm. if he can move early, if Kent Hughes can move early, um, which he did last year, yeah, he also opens up the possibility of taking on salary, yeah which could be extremely advantageous to collect yeah. assets for all these cap strapped teams. Like that is, um, it won't surprise me. Like we're, we're a couple months out from the deadline here. Yeah. When we get to about a month out, like just, you know, if the Canadians are off from February 1st to February 9th, they'll come back to practice on the 9th and play on yeah. the 10th or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't tell you with 100% probability who's moving out the door, but I'd be, it would not surprise me at all if during that week somebody is. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so we'll Eric, see. Eric, you're a regular contributor on Mondays, and yeah. I got the schedule here in front of me. So I got good news. Uh, the Canadians will be off on the next three Mondays. The Canadians will be off for the four Mondays in February. The Canadians will be off two of the four Mondays in March. And the Canadians will be off on all the Mondays in the month of April. So there's probably just two Mondays in March we're going to have to accommodate. So I look forward to talking to you next week on Monday. Cool? My pleasure, Tony. Thanks for your time. Thank you, my man. All right. We're going to switch gears and we're going to talk a little soccer. Back in 2009, um, there was um, the Montreal Impact were playing a game in Minnesota, a game that they lost by a score of three to nothing. Uh, it, for a couple of seconds, words were exchanged between teammates Mauro Biello and Sandro Grande. Sandro Grande, and I'm bringing this up so I can put everything in context for you all, okay? Because it's been a big story in Montreal all day today. It's been a huge story. It's been actually been the story. I think it's pretty much the only thing everyone's been talking about. So uh, Montreal Impact are losing by a score of three to nothing in Minnesota. The game is not televised. And uh, Mauro Biello and uh, and uh, Sandro Grande exchange a couple of words. Sandro Grande turns around and he does this. If we can bring up the picture, he puts his hand on Mauro Biello's throat. Okay, uh, that image. I mean, that lasted probably two seconds, but it lasted enough so that a picture was taken. And the very next day, that picture is on the front page of the paper. Um, Sandro Grande at that point is immediately released from the Montreal Impact. Your contract is over. That's it. You're not playing another game. You're sent home. Three years later, there was um, there was um, an attempt by a shooter at the Metropolis to shoot Prime Minister Marois. And um, from Sandro Grande's Twitter account, this comment came up. The only mistake the shooter made last night was to miss his target, Marois. Next time, my man, I hope. Sandro Grande went on to say that at the time that his account was hacked later on that evening on a Facebook post. He did take issue with separatists 
call them hillbillies and farmers uh, and said that they're just not very intelligent. It's unimaginable. And uh, and that, you know, they're um, I believe that their welfare cases are something to that effect. Um, he obviously got into a lot of trouble for what happened. He had to meet with, uh, you know, I, I, I believe at the time he met with the police. Um, he um, he met with different levels of, uh, you know, counselors in Laval, where he resides out of. Um, he issued an apology um, to the to the PQ. Um, I believe his apology was accepted. He agreed to actually um, do seminars on the dangers of social media and uh, and uh, letting some of the athletes know that, you know, you have to be responsible and talking about his issue and what happened. He did so on at least three occasions. And then he went on to work for the Quebec Soccer Federation. He went on to work with the athletes and soccer players of the National Training Center. He went on to work with girls and boys players from Cégep Montmorency out of Laval. He went on to be the technical director of Le Club de Soccer Les Etoiles de l'Est and um, went on to be the technical director of the Montreal Manic Academy. And most recently, he was the technical director of FC Laval, who is an affiliate team of CF Montreal. Based on the last 10 years, his body of work and his ability to develop players, and he's known when it comes to player development as one of the best coaches in the city, one of the best coaches in the province, and one of the best coaches in the country. Well, CF Montreal hired him. Yesterday, he conducted his first practice at around 3.30 in the afternoon at Complex Marie-Victorin. At around 6.30 p.m. last night, a press release was sent out and a tweet by the Montreal, by CF Montreal, confirming that he was hired as the head coach of the CF Montreal Reserves. And in that press release was a statement from Sandro Grande talking about the terrible mistakes that he made in the past and that he's learned from them and how, you know, regretful he is and that, uh, that uh, he's learned from his mistakes. Following that announcement and following that press release, there was a lot of pressure on social media from a lot of people who obviously weren't able to forgive what he said or what he tweeted or what he posted about 10 years ago. It all came back up and he lived it all over again. The PQ sent out a series of tweets last night. Monsieur Plamondon did. And uh, the team started to have second thoughts. So they spoke to him this morning and they told him that they were going back on his decision. Uh, a lot of people were saying they were going to cancel their season tickets. They were mad at the club. They were, they were, they were, they were, you know, they, they were very upset. And so less than 24 hours after he was hired, he was relieved of his duties. Joining me right now, I bring on one of his former teammates. Hi, Ali. Ali Jerba, how are you? How are you doing, Tony? Very good. Thank you for doing this, Ali. I don't know if you're on your phone, but if you actually put it sideways, we'll be able to see you on more of the screen, okay? If you don't mind. No problem. 
no, that's not working. There we go. No, that's not working either. No, if you turn the phone over, no. Okay, no, Ali, let's go back to the way it was because clearly it's it's not working here. So let's go back to uh, it's okay. We'll 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 do it this way, Ali. Ali, no um, Sandro Grande, let, let's let's put the cards on the table, okay? He's not only one of your former teammates, he's also a very good friend of yours. And, yes. and obviously, you're saddened for your friend tonight. Uh, you know what? I wake up this morning. It's been a long day, Tony. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's been hurting me the, the whole day today. And it's 11 o'clock, and it's still, I feel like the nightmare was going to be finished soon, and everything can go back to order. So I, I don't even have word to, to say it. And it's a sad day. It's a sad day for soccer in general. Okay. Um, I know Sandro well. Uh, I've mentioned on a couple of occasions today that my eldest son played under his direction for about five years. Okay. Uh, I obviously, you know, um, I said that from a soccer perspective, he's one of the best player development coaches in the city, one of the best in the province, and one of the best in the country. So I understand that part of it. Uh, some asked me if he's a friend of mine, and I said, listen, when you're together with someone, around someone for three times a week for about five years, there's no doubt you're going to develop a friendship, okay? So yeah. Sandro uh, is obviously an acquaintance. I'm not going to hide from that. Um, it doesn't take away from the fact, though, Ali, I think I can speak for yourself as well. Uh, you're a friend of his. I consider myself a friend of his as well. It's not yes. because we're friends of his that we're going to say that what happened in 2012 is not a problem. It was oh, obviously no, no, very no, no. wrong. It was obviously inexcusable. It was obviously unacceptable. It was obviously very disappointing. And it was obviously a huge, huge, huge mistake. Uh, if you read social media, I think most people wanted CF Montreal to reverse their decision, which they did. There are some, maybe they're the minority, though, who have said, you know, this guy apologized 10 years ago and then for the next 10 years went on to rehabilitate himself, re-educate himself, try to make amends, have seminars, talk to people, issue an apology, have it accepted, go on to work for five or six different organizations, never had any issues in those 10 years. Why is he reliving this again? Oh my friend, I, I think it's a it's it's very tough to to imagine why they're putting back to to that situation, and I think then only not looking as a friend, as a family member, his kids, his parent, they have to relieve all that emotion all over again for something. Then you know what? After what it's been what eleven years, then it's been working on itself, and we know the guy. We see him work class. You know what? He went through a lot of things on his life, but now then he have, he have opportunity to be better and to show those kids a better way to do things. I just think, I just think that is a sad news. Yeah. Uh, I think, Ali, there's, there's a button, by the way, if we can get back to it. I, I think it's, a, it's the auto-rotate. It's the auto-rotate. If you take the auto-rotate, your auto-rotate might be locked on your phone if it's an iPhone. If you take okay. it off, then you can slide it back and it'll work. 
You know what the auto rotate button is? You want me to show you or? It's this one here. You see that? That's the auto rotate button. If you take it off, Mm -hmm. I think you can put it, you put your phone this way now and it's going to work. You want to do that? You want to try that? That's what I'm trying to do. So uh, let me do it. I'm going to try it and see what it's going to give. No. No? Ali, uh, I know that you're you're probably, are you at your complex right now? Your complex in Mirabel? Uh, yeah, no, no, I just came back uh, not even two uh, seconds ago. Okay, well, uh, listen, I hope it's going to work out for you. If it doesn't, do not go work at a cell phone store. It's not for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> Ali, me, uh, I, I know one of the, so we'll just leave it, Ali. Uh, I, I know that, you know, obviously as his friend, but even if you weren't his friend, right, a lot of people believe in second chances, okay? Uh, yes. Some will probably say, well, it's more than two chances for Sandro Grande. But first of all, the picture that we showed, okay, mm-hmm. there are some that are taking a lot of issue with it, saying those are extremes, acts of violence. You played the game for a very long time in different cities and in different countries, um, your thoughts on what happened that day? You know what? If you play the game of any sport, you're going to know then it's all about emotion. And it's not to to have an excuse for what he's done or whatsoever because they have a, a, uh, other situation that went worse than what Sandro did when that, on that picture. And we saw it all over the news then. In England, they have some of those uh, player on the same team, they fist fighting. They give them two yellow and they kick them out of the the, uh, the game. And they came back, they shake hand, they move on, and they forget about the story. The only time that I see them that story got so big is in North uh, North America and Quebec, especially. Then, if you know the passion of this game, you will never take anything personal because you're gonna see them most most of those players. At training, we fight. And I say, I mean, fist fight. So it's not something that was new for me or new. Any any player who played the game know about that. So they don't take it personal. And when it's finished on the on the field, it's finished on the field. The proof, those those two guys who have been to different uh, events. You see Mauro Biolo talking to uh, Sandro Grande. So if people see that, and sometimes people don't, don't think that it happened, and when people see that, they, we have to explain to them that's part of the sport. That's part of the emotion. Nobody took that and is is a personal. And today, those guys they can talk, they they share, they share drink, they share special moment together. They came to my complex and they were both happy, same feel. We enjoyed the, the time. So people yeah, they Mar- don't know. Maro Maro has forgiven Sandro for the gesture. It was never an issue. As a matter of once it was over, it was over. I remember exactly. I was covering the team back then, and I believe they were actually laughing it over the next day. But shortly after, Sandro was released from the Montreal Impact. So so now you talked about there's stuff like that that happens. There's stuff like that that's even worse that happens. Players have got into fist fights at practice. Players have slapped each other at practice. Players have got into fights in the tunnel. Players have got into fights in the locker room. Uh, Gennaro mm-hmm. Gattuso, uh, you know, tried to choke Joe, uh, Tottenham assistant coach Joe Jordan and then was suspended four games by UEFA. He's gone on to coach 
eight teams after that. Zinedine Zidane tried to cave in Marco Madarazzi's chest and went on to be the manager for Real Madrid. Now, I'm not excusing the gesture, okay? And obviously, no. you know, he regrets it. There's no doubt about it. We're just giving examples of what happened. We are not excusing Sandro's tweets. They were wrong. We're not excusing his tweets and his posts. They were a mistake. They were a huge mistake. The only thing is that some are coming out and saying, hold on a second here. All the politicians are taking issue with Sandro today and are telling, taking issue with CF Montreal and saying, you have to fire Sandro Grande. Where were these politicians when he worked for Soccer Quebec? Where were they when he worked for with the National Training Center? Where were they when he worked with Cégep Montmorency? Where were they when he worked with Etoile de l'Est? Where were they when he worked with FC Laval? Where were they? You know, you know the 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 things about. The, I've been on the soccer business for a little while now, mm -hmm. and when I see the way this guy, and not only my friend, touch the life of those kids. And that's my first question. Like, where is all those people? They have so much negative opinion about him. Where they been? Because all those players that I met, they can tell you how Sandro changed their life, how he groomed them to be a better human being, better soccer player. But I can be like, you know what? Politics is politics. It's not something that we want to touch. We don't know nothing about it, uh, Tony. About politics. I'm not a good at. I'm not good at it, so I cannot have any opinion. Me, I can only have opinion of what I see and what I leave every day. So when you see a man who decide to turn his life over and build better human being after himself made a mistake, then we're not there to, we, 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 we're very aware of what mistake that he made and he recognize it. And after 10 years, he come back to be a better man. And that's what I find is very hard for me to swallow has a pair of So I'm like, you know what? Some of those people, they did worse than him. And they still give them a chance to be better. Why people are so hard on Sandro Grande? Um, you know, you just said some people did worse. There are some who are involved in sports um, who were involved with drunk driving. On the other end, there are some who lost their lives. They did pay a price but they, they went on to work in sports thereafter. Um, there are some who were um, arrested for allegations of domestic abuse, and there were some who still, you know, and they still work in sports thereafter. So um, the tweets, the posts were very bad. No yes. doubt about it. But second chances existed for some, and the second chance did not exist for Sandro Grande. Now, CF Montreal, um, you know, even though they're under a lot of criticism, they, they believed in second chances, right? So that's why they were willing to hire Sandro. Like, they knew of what yes. happened, what transpired back in 2012, and they said, hey, you know what? A, we believe in second chances, and B, this gentleman has shown in the last uh, 10 years 
that the most he, qualified. He, he learned he learned from well not only his qualifications but he learned from his mistakes and there were no issues in the last 10 years and 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 he comes he comes recommended so they said hey we're going to give him a shot um but following the the pressure and the backlash on social media they decided to reverse their um their decision and relieve him of his duties for me we all know sandro grande made mistakes we all know yes. that we don't we don't you know we keep free saying it we don't but we all know that um what i find mind-boggling and i mentioned this earlier tonight on television is i've worked in the media for the last 20 years i'm not the most educated person in the world I never went to Harvard. I never went to Yale. I never even went to Concordia for that matter. And very unfortunately, I never even did a year of university because I didn't get accepted. And still to this day, it's one of the biggest regrets in my life, not being able to educate myself more. Having said that, I knew the second that they hired him that this backlash was coming, this decision was going to be reversed, and he was going to be relieved of his duties today. I find it mind-boggling with all due respect to everyone who works there, that when this was talked about in the studios, there's not one person who raised their hand and said, I think this might not go over well. I think we might have a problem. I'm agree with you because it's very sad the way that, you know, Mia, what I heard, what it hurt me the most is what it put his family through, his kids, and knowing then, you, you you know then, people they're gonna be, and the way then everything went for his nomination, I'm like, you know what? And I understand it's not the first team coach. It's just matter of putting things there, so people they can know that this guy work on himself to be in this position he is today because. Even me, if I see it, not, in, not even being my friend, I see something just come out so fast then, okay, Sandro got a, uh, the job to be the, uh, the head coach. I'm going to ask the first question. So what happened? They should have introduced him to him and let people know what kind of work he done on himself for him to be able to be there now. Because even we can point finger at the politician and stuff like that, they don't go. They 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 jump on the bandwagon and they say the opinion, and it's right for them to say it because that's the only thing that they saw. Something just without even giving them why this situation is here right now. No introduction to the matters. That's what I find. And somebody should have done his job properly. And that person should now thinking about it to be like, listen, maybe I'm not the person of the 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 matter right right now. You know, I, I find it honorable that Gabriel Gervais took all responsibility and all the blame today. And obviously, he's early on in his presidency, and there was an error in judge, like he made a mistake. Okay, having said that he's surrounded by a lot of people and he should not be the only one to blame here for a situation that wasn't handled the way it should have been handled. 
He's obviously surrounded by others, some of which who have a lot of experience. There's VPs of several departments. There's 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 marketing, there's sponsorship, there's communications, there's soccer culture. There's this, there, there's like there's several people surrounding him. It just it seems to me that it was so obvious that let's just say he's the one you wanted to hire. The steps just to me seem so easy. The first thing you have to do, you have to reach out to Pauline Marois. You have to see if you can have, a, you know, a meeting in person along with, you know, Sandro Grande. You have to see if that can happen. If there could be a Zoom call, you'd have to make Sandro have this personal meeting or the Zoom call with, with, with uh, Madame Marois and others from CF Montreal to present his apology, to explain what he's done in the last 10 years, and to see if that apology, first and foremost, was accepted. If that happens, well, then at that point, you know what? You have to talk with levels of government. You have to talk with the PQ party, and you have to see if your apology in that respect could be uh, could be accepted as well. Then maybe there should have been a roundtable at some point, have some members of the media bring up a few uh, situations up and then bring up the situation with Sandro and see, and then it should have been basically a percolation, a few, several steps that had to happen. And if you're able to make progress in all those steps at that point, you can gradually try and integrate him into the group. I mean, what they just did was, they had the interview. They talked to him. They said, okay, boom. All right. Okay. This happened. Yeah. All right. Okay. You last 10 years, you've been good. Okay. We're going to hire you. Boom. We put you on the field. All right. Okay. We'll send out the press release. We'll actually write it. Uh, we'll say you're apologetic. Okay. And then the second, there was a tweet from Monsieur Plamondon of, of, of the PQ and their decision was made and they were, there was no going back. And then it, it was over. It was just, it was not handled well, and it's it's very unfortunate. I, I think everyone lost. I really believe everyone lost because you talked about his family, and it's easy not to think about him today, but he, once again, he realized the terrible mistake. He issued the apology, and so he thought there was closure 10 years ago, right? He thought there was closure. Yeah. His kids... And I don't know if they were aware or they weren't aware, but maybe starting today and maybe for the next little while, and maybe as long as they're in school, there's going to be someone who's going to tell them that their father is uh, racist or terrorist or violent or, um, you know. The main thing I saw today, uh, Tony, was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it's um, Unbelievable, and I uh, I have a good time with his son yesterday because I was coaching him, mm -hmm. and this morning I cannot just imagine what's going on to his very proud, and his father is going to be the next coach in uh, CF Montreal. So for me, it's just they should have planned it better. They should have planned it better because me in that situation, I cannot. Yeah, it's easy to blame the politician today, but I put on the uh, I put my shoes. Uh, put my feet on their shoes today. I'm like, for them, it was a shocking news to receive it right away. It's cold. And how do you expect them? What, what are you expecting them to do? 
They shouldn't be introduced the same way that you say uh, a couple of minutes ago. Introduce them to the uh, Sandro to make sure that, listen, it's okay with you. And exceptionally, somebody tell me something, attack me personally or my group. I want to just make sure that, oh, you know what? It's okay with you guys now. You apologize. It's been 10 years. Is that something that you still holding grudge, grudges? Mm-hmm. Or we not want to make uh, you guys, again, angry or whatsoever or feel like it's been disrespectful. Even if you see the way that uh, the, the opposition was, was talking about Sandro, they got surprised with the news. It's not like they was after Sandro personally. They got surprised with the news. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, Ali, I, I know that uh, CF Montreal has been... Uh... They've been taking a lot of heat uh, for this hiring. Uh, They got some sort of relief from the fan base uh, and some of their supporters today when they announced that they were reversing the decision, they were relieving Sandro of his duties. But clearly, they must feel really terrible about this situation as well. Uh, Olivier Renard must feel terrible about it, and Gabriel Gervais must feel terrible about it. They must all feel terrible about it. We know, obviously, Sandro feels terrible about it. We know... We can imagine his family must be ter- feel terrible about it. Uh, I just it, it was uh, it was a day today where, and I said this before, and I think we can all agree that um, everybody lost. Right? It was just it was yeah. not it was not it was not a good day. It was uh, just not a good day where everyone lost. Um, okay. You know, it's um, it's it's a touchy subject. Uh, obviously, um, uh, you're a very loyal friend, but at the same time, you're you know you're able to differentiate from right and wrong, and and you stated. Uh, on several occasions that what happened was, was a terrible mistake and was obviously very, very wrong. Uh, but as good friends do, uh, you wanted to talk tonight to, to, uh, to, uh, show some support to a friend of yours who, who's, who's got a knee down tonight. And, and, uh, uh, you wanted to, to just be there, uh, by his side. And that's, uh, and that's a good friend, uh, not a difficult, uh, not an easy thing to talk about, Uh, Thank you very much for taking the time tonight, Ali. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. There you have it. Uh, Former uh, member of the Montreal Impact back in the day, Ali Jerba, who's one of the most prolific goal scorers that the Canadian national team has ever known. If memory serves me well, he actually scored 15 goals in 31 games playing for Team Canada's national team. That's it. The sick podcast where we all not only talked about you know, the Montreal Canadiens, we talked about, you know, the uh, the hot topic of the day, uh, which was uh, the Sandro Grande and CF Montreal situation. We uh, we bring it to you every um, weeknight starting at 10 p.m. for you, our sick army, watching in very, very big numbers tonight, as you have been over the last several months. Thank you very, very much once again for your support. If you like it, um, comment sick, S-I-C-K. And hit the like button on YouTube or on Facebook. We would appreciate it very much. And if you're listening on Google, Apple, or Spotify, if you can leave us a five-star review, if you appreciate our candor uh, and our opinions and uh, the sick podcast, that'll go a long way. It's our way of feeling the love. Thank you very much. I see some of them coming in. The best, Tony is sick, sick, sick. Thank you, Tony, for another great show. Sick, sick, says someone else. Thank you very, very much. Thanks once again for watching. Matrix is Real says sick. Bethurston says good night, everybody. Corey Crawford says sick. Kelly says sick. Um, 
the and uh angela esposito says sick as well all right thank you we got the point thank you very much also from raw footage says you're the best tony claudio santoro says sick thank you very much we'll be back tomorrow night same time same place on wednesday night at 10 p.m when our guest will be from tv aspar mac andre perot good night everyone i'm marinero <laughs> And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you.